This is section 52 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today, by Mark Twain and C. D. Warner. Chapter 52. The weeks drifted by monotonously enough now. The preliminaries continued to drag along in Congress, and life was a dull suspense to Sellers and Washington, a weary waiting which might have broken their hearts, maybe, but for the relieving change which they got out of an occasional visit to New York to see Laura. Standing guard in Washington or anywhere else is not an exciting business in time of peace, but standing guard was all that the two friends had to do. All that was needed of them was that they should be on hand and ready for any emergency that might come up. There was no work to do. That was all finished. This was but the second session of the last winter's Congress, and its action on the bill could have but one result, its passage. The House must do its work over again, of course, but the same membership was there to see that it did it. The Senate was secure. Senator Dilworthy was able to put all doubts to rest on that head. Indeed, it was no secret in Washington that a two-thirds vote in the Senate was ready and waiting to be cast for the university bill as soon as it should come before that body. Washington did not take part in the gaieties of the season, as he had done the previous winter. He had lost his interest in such things. He was oppressed with cares now. Senator Dilworthy said to Washington that a humble deportment under punishment was best, and that there was but one way in which the troubled heart might find perfect repose and peace. The suggestion found a response in Washington's breast, and the senator saw the sign of it in his face. From that moment one could find the youth with the senator even oftener than with Colonel Sellers. When the statesman presided at great temperance meetings, he placed Washington in the front rank of impressive dignitaries that gave tone to the occasion and pomp to the platform. His bald-headed surroundings made the youth the more conspicuous. When the statesman made remarks in these meetings, he not infrequently alluded with the effect to the encouraging spectacle of one of the wealthiest and most brilliant young favorites of society, forsaking the light vanities of that butterfly existence to nobly and self-sacrificingly devote his talents and his riches to the cause of saving his hapless fellow-creatures from shame and misery here and eternal regret hereafter. At the prayer meetings the senator always brought Washington up the aisle on his arm and seated him prominently. In his prayers he referred to him in the cant terms which the senator employed, perhaps unconsciously, and mistook, maybe, for religion, and in other ways brought him into notice. He had him out at gatherings for the benefit of the negro, gatherings for the benefit of the Indian, gatherings for the benefit of the heathen in distant lands. He had him out time and again, before Sunday schools, as an example for emulation. Upon all these occasions the senator made casual references to many benevolent enterprises which his ardent young friend was planning against the day when the passage of the university bill should make his means available for the amelioration of the condition of the unfortunate among his fellow-men of all nations and all climes. Thus, as the weeks rolled on, Washington grew up into an imposing lion once more, but a lion that roamed the peaceful fields of religion and temperance, and revisited the glittering domain of fashion no more. A great moral influence was thus brought to bear in favor of the bill. The weightiest of friends flocked to its standard. Its most energetic enemies said it was useless to fight longer. They had tacitly surrendered, 
while as yet the day of battle was not come. End of chapter 52